Rogue Radio. Now available on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com forward slash rogue country. Keep it rogue. Hey guys, this podcast is brought to you by Rogue Country. I fucking love Rogue Country. It's my favorite Facebook group. And it's one of the few Facebook groups I use that actually has people engage and talk and contribute to conversations that isn't just negative, you know, repeating the same old debates about fucking pop country or complaining about what music they don't like. It's active people posting about the shit they actually enjoy, which is always so much better to read and watch and participate in. So head over to Rogue Country, go listen to Rogue Radio over on Mixcloud. And yeah, I absolutely fucking love working with them. I've found a lot of podcast people that I've sat down with and talked to from there. And there's really interesting folks and everyone has a story. So it's always just interesting to meet different people who may be into something slightly different to yourself. Like country and roots music is such a wide genre and a wide type of music that so much can fit into it. You can have, you know, fucking George Jones next to Blind Willie Johnson next to you know sierra ferrell next to dolly parton and it's such a wide-reaching thing that has so many facets that you can find the people that enjoy the stuff you like while also finding stuff that you don't necessarily know about but also speaks to you so head over to rogue country and listen to rogue radio today's episode as always is brought to you by me and the next life my debut record i'm going to drop in a bit now so you can listen to it As always, if you do dig it, if you enjoy the podcast and want to support me and support my music, head over to mike333west.com. You can pick up the next life on vinyl over there, CD, digital. You grab a t-shirt, a mug, whatever you'd like to grab, it's yours. Um, I am doing a live stream show on the 7th of February on Facebook, and I'm bringing two of my friends with me, a previous guest of Into the Van, Harry Pedigo, who is a musician in Ohio, and that's the best thing about the internet, is I wouldn't get to do a show with him in real life anytime soon, so he's graciously joined me on this six-month anniversary of The Next Life, along with my friend Josh Bettis, a great musician from Wales. So I'm really excited to have that line up for that live stream, which is on Sunday, the 7th of February, starting at 7 p.m. GMT, which is British time. So if you do enjoy my music, you listen to Harry's episode on Into the Van and enjoy him. I'm definitely going to have Josh on at some point because he's, you know, in Wales and closer to me. I'm probably going to wait until I can see him face to face so we can have a good old chinwag. But yeah, the 7th of February, Sunday the 7th of February, we're doing a live stream that's going to be kick-ass, and I can't wait to just get to play again. I don't want to oversaturate with live streams because everyone does it, and after COVID broke, everyone started doing live streams, so 
you know, when to do one and when not to do one is just as important as, you know, doing them in general. You need to think about when you're doing it. But without further ado, today's guest is a doozy. Jane Allison is a musician. She has this great Laurel Canyon, you know, 60s folk vibe to her that I really enjoy. She's also a comedian. She's an actress who currently stars across from David Schwimmer in a series called Intelligence. And yeah, this was a really fun chat that, you know, covers a lot of her career in different mediums and it touches on, you know, Brexit and what the implications are for musicians. But, you know, this is a really fun chat and I really enjoyed getting to speak to Jane. I saw she was the Rogue Country featured artist the other week and I saw that she was doing that and I read her bio and stuff and I was like, I have to talk to this fucking person. So I hope you enjoy it and without further ado, this is episode 23 of Into the Van with Mike West and Jane Allison. Welcome to Into the Van with me, Mike West. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're rolling. I want to thank you for making the time to speak to us and stuff. And um, I really wanted, like, obviously you messaged the Rogue Country Group and that's how I found your stuff. And I was reading your bio and your about section on your website and stuff. And you've got such a prolific career of like interest in different mediums how did you first get into like out of the music theater tv and film what was really like your first love well it kind of started when i was really young um actually doing uh musicals hmm. you know, so all, all of it combined the, the acting the music uh, you know theater and, and when I was really young, I worked backstage at um, Theatre Warren in Aberystwyth and did a lot of um, just anything I could that was to do with theatre. And then I went off and trained as a dancer mm. at, at Laban and, um, and then got into physical theatre and um, a lot of stuff in London with the kind of punk scene and the, all the new wave dancers, you know, that were around like Michael Clark and... Um, the Chumleys and people like that and got involved in that sort of very avant-garde physical theatre mixed with dance, mixed with music. Mm. And then I did that for quite a while. Went back to Aberystwyth and um, worked there with a dance sort of slash theatre company. Um, and then, yeah, and then moved back to England and got into music again and then uh, me and I met Julia Davis and we became a double act before um, Nighty Night and before all that and toured around with a show we'd written, comedy stuff. Mm. It's all just been, I think my life's just really random. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, you know, going with the creative flow, you know, of who you meet. And, and mm. I, I always loved acting, music and dance. Mm. I'm far too old to dance now, apart from around my front room, um, or wafting around on a music video or something. Um, but the acting has kind of taken off later in life uh, mm. for the TV. I've, I did a lot of theatre and um, live comedy, um, comedy improv with like um, Rob Brydon, Julia Davis, Ruth Jones, mm. we're all in cool. together. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it is kind of, yeah, it is quite random, really. And and, and then ticking alongside, I've always had the music yeah. in different guises as the years have gone by. Cool. And with 
that many things and kind of like in your arsenal have you found because i know writer's block is a thing that like curses everyone who's creative but have you found yourself able to kind of dodge writer's block in a way because if you aren't trying to like if you're not really hitting a songwriter or you're getting stuck on that you can then shift to you know a different medium like writing something for tv or a comedy thing have you found that that kind of keeps you more agile in terms of avoiding writer's block or do you still hit walls with it um no I, i'm all, i'm not too bad with writer's block music wise mm. um, i've got a I, I get that more with the um writing sort of things drama or comedy i've got mm. about five projects on the ball that i've not finished <laughs> But I don't know if it's writer's block or just a bit of kind of lazy, not lazy, I don't want to say laziness, but a bit sort of like um, maybe unmotivated, you know, mm. like, um, like, oh, I need to get on with that and, you know, not kind of getting on with it and stuff. But yeah, I think you're right. I think having the shifts, you know, I'll have six weeks of working on a TV show where that's all I'm doing. I'm just focused on that. I'm in that world. Um, mm. And then I, it gives me a break, I suppose. And I come out of that and then in a way to relax or feed my, my own kind of inner self or whatever, you know, I'll get, pick up the guitar and start mm. writing and it, yeah, but it is all a bit random with me. It's a bit sort of like a yo-yo. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with going down to like studying for dance and stuff. What was it about dance outside of those other things that like drew you towards it? But make that your primary focus at that time. Wow, um, it's quite a long time ago. Um, I had always wanted. I, I I did, you know, as a little girl, I did ballet and dance, and I always wanted to go to dance school, mm. uh, and never achieved it. And then I had a baby when I was quite young, uh, in my early twenties, and having that child really focused me and mm. their time and I started just going back to dance classes to get fit again and and then I just the passion just was reawoken and I decided to apply to dance school you know um, and I didn't tell anyone because I thought if I don't get in I'm not going to have to be ashamed <laughs> of that and I did get in and uh, I went as a slightly more mature student and um, yeah, so it was, it, it, I don't know, it just kind of went that way. Yeah. And, and then I had a theatre company to come back to in Aberystwyth to work with. So they really wanted me to get um, proper training, you know, as opposed to just being quite good at dance. Yeah. You know, oh, you know. cool. Um, I, I think if you aren't in that headspace or you aren't in that world, you don't realise what training really goes into you know, dancing or even acting, what was the training like for dancing, especially like in like your experience of it all? It's tough. And I, I actually loved it. And I think it sets you up really well for being in um, any kind of arts, really, where you're going to have to face a lot of um, failure and rejection mm. constantly, you know, and, and you've got, I think, dance training really really helps you not to take all that personally because they're really tough on you in dance school literally you know shouting at you as you're going across the floor you know sort of like what the hell do you think that is and you know like really really 
tough training and all day, you know, class after class and your, your body's in agony and stuff. But it, it gives you a real strength of perseverance and ability to just um, keep going even when it's really tough. And yeah, and to just not really take criticism personally and, and allow yourself to take constructive criticism, I think. I'm really glad I had that dance training. I think it set me up quite well to persevere, yeah. yeah, in the face of very little results. <laughs> that's a really interesting thing because I think a lot of people, like, until you hit the adversity in the thing that you love, you don't really realise you love it as much until you're getting screamed at or, like, in terms of music, when you have, like, a bad show or a show that goes really wrong yeah. and you still want to do it the next day. You're like, oh, this is what yeah. i actually love to do and i've like i've been like a lot of people who know me like i'm pretty stubborn when it comes to things so if i hit like a level of adversity and something that i don't give a shit about i'll drop it straight away and the stuff i always stick at no matter what happens i'm always grind on and it's interesting even in like training or academic situations that kind of like trial by fire still happens or it happens in that yeah. situation yeah 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 and i think it's important just you know life lessons and kind of building character isn't it mm. strength of character you know all the adversity and the the shit you go through yeah either makes or breaks you and um you know hopefully it makes you a better stronger person really yeah, yeah. definitely definitely and like before that what kind of where your influences not just in music but also in terms of like theater and acting in comedy, who would you say were your top five out of like those mediums that you gravitated towards when you were younger and were like your guides, guides so to speak, to, towards those goals? Yeah, my guides in music were um, Bowie, Patti Smith, Bowie from a very young age, like you know, 14 or whatever, and Bolan, if I'm honest. Mm. <laughs> he was the first, you know, sort of hero. Um, Patti Smith. Uh, when I reached my kind of 19, I suppose I was, when I first discovered Patti Smith. She uh, still is a massive influence. I follow her on Instagram and she's just a wealth of like knowledge and about art and music, every kind of art. Bowie mm. was the same though, you know, just so knowledgeable, so intelligent, so clever, so creative, so innovative. I mean, you could never wish to, you could never you know you can never be like them but you want to do you know what yeah. I mean they're like so amazing and I think if you're going to have heroes and that they've got to be so much better than yourself <laughs> it's like yeah. you need something to look up to um Dylan and Neil Young really influenced me hugely um they're the kind of I suppose the top is that five or four hang on I've only said four haven't I yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, who would I don't know who number five would be uh Hard to choose. I suppose PJ Harvey, mm. um, Kate Bush as well. There's kind of comedy when I was young was definitely um, Victoria Wood and Julie Walters mm. were like, and French and Saunders. Um, who else? Uh, oh God, it's, it's, it's hard, isn't it? Because <laughs> it's having to narrow people down. Yeah. Um, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, 
I mean, I liked, uh, I was brought up on Morecambe and Wise, you know, yeah. stuff like that with my dad. <laughs> um, I'm sure those things influenced you, but um, Peter Sellers um, was, I really loved um, and found, yeah, all that sort of stuff, The Goon Show. I mean, this is way back when I was tiny, but they really get in your brain when you're really little. Yeah, like what I remember. Listen to, you know. Yeah, I watched Harry Enfield when I was way too young. Yeah, I, I still have like a soft spot. My dad had this old VHS tape of a load of Harry Enfield ske- like sketches. Yeah, I, I think that still is probably like where I formed most of my comedy tastes. Yeah, from yeah. that initial thing. So when you're younger, that's like what you like really like. You're like, oh, this is comedy or this is music, and you kind of stand yeah. there for ages. Yeah, because it so goes right in, doesn't it? And you look up to them. And then Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, I bloody love them. <laughs> <laughs> and then all, yeah, all the people you're talking about, that that genre, that era where it was sort of new comedy at the mm. time was very, um, well, I suppose French and Saunders were all part of that team. The, um, that lot, what were they, what do they all call themselves? You know, the five go on an acid trip or whatever. <laughs> they all did those things, didn't they? Um, and then what was the other one? Dance. Dance and like theatre or like acting in terms of, you know. Um, in the early days, I was really influenced by Burkhoff and then, you know, Michael Clark. Mm. Um, uh, all that kind of interesting mix of new theatre actors like um, Tim Roth and um, Gary Oldman. Mm. Um Stoppard, you know, those kind of playwrights. Um, yeah, like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. I remember seeing that film with Tim Roth and Gary mm. Oldman. Uh, it's the film of the play and just like being like, oh, you know, really bowled over and um, all that kind of stuff, I suppose. Um, yeah. Cool. And with like the comedy stuff, like I love like stand-up comedy and I'm, I'm a fan of Saturday Night Live, like the American show where yeah. they really have this kind of comed- comedy improv, you know, like, I'm trying to think of the word, like a proper tradition of that's how these comedians like come up through that and then go to those. And Britain has its own comedy and improv thing, but I don't know if it's ever really been given the same platform or, you know, not necessarily success, but attention that it deserved. Obviously you had like French and Saunders and, those type of people but what do you think like British comedy has that kind of rivals America or where America has this platform where does Britain need to provide like a platform equal to because I'd love a British version of Saturday Night Live with British comedic like improv actors that would be great Mm. I'd love to see that I Mm. mean what did they have they had um there was an improv comedy show do you remember Josie Lawrence and um Oh, God, what was that called? Oh, my God. I'm terrible. My brain seems COVID. I'm going to blame, you know, it's lockdown. <laughs> Not my age. <laughs> but I, don't, I can't find the words sometimes. What was that show? There was a comedy improv show that was on telly um, for a short while in the sort of 80s, I think. But it was... Um, yeah, we didn't really have a platform like that, did we? We've we've got groups of comedians who come up at the same time, yeah. um, and and then you've got you you know, and then you get a new group and stuff. Um, but I don't think we really have something 
like no, something I, like that. No, I wonder what the kind of cultural differences is so that platform was never really created because you have so many great comedic actors coming up and you have like the duos mm-hmm. from Markham and Wise and even like you have Tommy Cooper back in the day and you have like the new kind of ilk that are more stand-up com- comedians but that's still Saturday Night Live has that kind of comedian as well but I don't know why the British haven't kind of embraced that format because you have shows like The Masked Singer and The Voice and Britain's Got Talent taking those athletes yeah. from the States but they've not done it in a way that would create like this comedic stable of actors and really because that was a, like Saturday Night Live has been a launching platform for so many comedians yeah. that to have something British to do that for our own film industry or something would be a really interesting that is such a good watch. idea I don't need to pitch that idea to someone <laughs> It really is, because you're right. We have taken on all the kind of, you know, the voice and on X Factor and all that stuff. And um, I suppose way back you had the radio shows, didn't mm. you? They were all part of Footlights. And mm. in fact, that's where a lot of um, comedians have come from. Cambridge, Footlights, and then I don't know if Oxford have got one as well. Mm. So even a lot of the newer ones that come up, I think. But we don't have like a TV show which, which, yeah, I mean, it's just a brilliant idea. <laughs> I'd really love to see that. Yeah. It'd be great. You could have yeah. old and new, couldn't you? All mixed up together doing fab comedy improv and sketches and stuff. Yeah. That's the thing, because I'd really love to see that. And, like, I kind of lament where British comedy from, like, you know, like, Mark the Week and stuff, because I love those yeah. shows. Yeah. But then you see like those comedians live and they're doing the same material and then they do a TV show based off that material. And then you realize they've done from what an hour special would be. They've got like four years worth of content from it. And it's the same, almost creating like a stale thing. While a lot of LA comics and stuff do an hour in the second it's filmed, they burn it and then redo it. And I don't know what the kind of formula is for British panel shows for comedians. But I think that's kind of led to a stagnation in terms of, especially the stand-up artists that I've watched from Britain or like the UK. But I'd love to see something that like really tests them and has yeah. them creating new content like all the time. Because there's a lot of Americans and even some European people that they push the boundaries and they have to write stuff all the time. Well, yeah. I've kind of seen like I remember I saw Frankie Boyle and he did the same thing in like three different platforms. I saw him and I was really disappointed. Yeah, um, yeah. Like relied on like it was just really funny stuff, but he'd relied on it for like I think it was like a year or two. Yeah, well, that's very interesting. I mean, I haven't haven't been to see any stand-up comedy for a while. Um, and I think it tends to feed... So there's a different group of actors who are like comedic actors and writers who then do shows, you know, like mm. TV shows. Um, and maybe, the, yeah, maybe they're not the same as the sort of stand-up comedians. Maybe that's the difference. Maybe mm. there's a separation there of the two groups in a way. Yeah. Yeah, but either way, I just, I love, like, I've been watching a load of, like, Nevermind the Buzzcocks clips oh, yeah. and stuff, because I just loved that atmosphere and that dynamic of things where it was a bit more random and haphazard and nothing ever really seemed prepared except the host's stuff. That was a good show. I liked that, yeah. And I liked the mix of music and comedy, because they'd always have a, you know, a few musicians on, and then they had Phil Jupitus and Noel Fielding, mm-hmm. didn't they? So they yeah. kind of the captains but um, <laughs> so there's always a bit of comedy in there and 
yeah, it's, it was a good format that. Yeah. But obviously going back to your music and your career with your new album, it's like Magdalene, the singles out, I believe, is it today on the 15th? Yeah, the single came out today, Magdalene, and it's off the album Like Magdalene, which will be released um, either the end of February or beginning of March. We haven't got the actual date yet, but... Um, cool. And has like the release date been affected at all, obviously, by COVID and things? Were you planning on releasing it earlier and doing a tour, or was it always around this time? Um, no, the release date actually was affected very badly by um, Pledge Music oh. going into liquidation. I had, um, I lost thousands of pounds. They bloody ran off with it, didn't they? They just, um, oh my God. It was so annoying because literally the day they took all the money out of everyone's accounts, the very next day it went bust and I was like, oh my God, literally, if only I'd have, because I could have extended it a, mm. a, a few, you know, a little longer even, or I just, or I would have just not had them take the money out if, if there'd been any warning. And they knew for, for yeah. I think, over a year or more, it's complicated, but they had someone buy out or sort of help them. But in his contract, he made sure that if it went bust, every penny went to him. So the artists, I mean, people lost a lot more than I did, but um, that was, yeah, that was really tricky. Yeah. So that did, uh, it kind of halted some stuff um, and then COVID happened. Um, and then something I was going to film, which was due to film in um, March, um, May and June, got postponed till... Um, September and August and I'd, I was going to release the single around that sort of time so then I had to shift that because I, I just can't do both at the same time mm. <laughs> it's too much <laughs> splitting myself into you know too many parts so there was a few reasons it got delayed um, mm. but you know I mean it is what it is it's yeah, unfortunately I spoke to um, Danny Vaughan from Taikata a while back and he was affected by the pledge stuff and yeah. my friends, the Plot Hounds, they lost out because they'd done an album campaign. And I think it kind of went quiet from the mainstream because it still fucked over a lot of musicians. And a it's lot. still, people are still affected to it to this day. I know some people managed to get it back from other crowdfunding and things like, because I remember it went down, but I got, because I knew people who were having pledge campaigns, they were like, this is happening. Yeah. So, so I went and luckily I do everything through my credit card online just so in case anything happens. So I went back and got a refund straight away and then sent it to them separately. But I know that it, they just basically did a cut and run on a lot of things. That was... Oh, I know. And what was really annoying for me is I was going to do it on Kickstarter, which I'd done all my others on before, which is a great platform. Mm. And my laptop was so old, <laughs> it wouldn't support it. Oh. I was like, oh. And I didn't have the money at the time to get a new laptop. So I was like, oh, I'm going to choose another platform. And I chose Pledge. Mm. And uh, yeah, you know, much to my disappointment that happened. But um, yeah, it's just, and I tried to get the money back through legal means. Mm. I tried everything. I put a lot of effort into that, but there was no way. And then I didn't have the heart for another crowdfunder. I just thought, I can't, I, I just can't. I feel like hanging myself. It's just so awful. And also asking people again to yeah. play. I just thought I can't do that. It's too much. It's just. Mm. 
Well, what for um, your Kickstarter projects, because you have Methylene Blue and Just Another Gale as your yeah. previous albums, were both of those kickstarted? Uh, yes, I think both of them were. Yeah, I think so. Yes, yes. And how um, did you find that process for Kickstarter the record? Because I know uh, I'm a huge comic fan as well. I pull out comics as well. I know that kind of market for Kickstarter does really well. But the music ones, I never really hear that much about. I don't know if it's just because I'm not in those circles. But how did you find those two initial projects? Um, actually, pretty good. Um, you know, you I raised um, enough to sort of pay for um, some, you know, like maybe some, either, either the recording or the manufacturing. Mm. Um, I think you rely a lot on, you know, if you haven't got a massive fan base, which I don't for the music um, uh, yet. <laughs> I put, try and be positive there, like an American. Um, but, um, you know, you rely on a lot of uh, friends and family and fans, you know, who are mostly friends and things. Or sometimes it'll be cooler shaker fans because Alonza um, produces and plays on my a record so mm. that's quite handy get a few of the cooler shaker fans um but yes it, it's a lot of hard work loads and loads of admin mm. which, which you have to be able to do these days anyway if you're a musician yeah, <laughs> yeah i always think that mu being a musician now it's like 80 percent admin and uh, 20 20 percent you occasionally get to write a song or go, uh, you know, now you don't even get to play. It's no. like, oh, it's like, oh, it's so, you know, uninspiring because it's just all admin and self-promotion, which is the worst thing. I mean, oh, God, promoting yourself is hideous. But um, so, yeah, but Kickstarter and that Kickstarter platform is a good platform. And um, but I think there's only so many you can do. It feels to me like it's like constantly asking people for help just feels, it yeah. feels hard in the first place. I find it hard. I'm very British, you know, like yeah. asking for money, help and sort of praise or whatever. It's just like the worst, three worst things. So um, it, yeah, it, it, it's a weird one really. Yeah, it's strange. I know because I was looking at using Pledge Music. I released an album last year. And I was yeah. looking at pledge music to do that. And obviously it all went tits. So I used Bandcamp and kind of opened pre-orders super early mm. as a way to kind of say it's coming. If you buy now, it, you'll get it eventually. And like I did it in kind of, I kind of kickstarted it, but through Bandcamp by just opening pre-orders early. And yeah. it, it worked like surprisingly well. I was happy with how that went. So I think, how I'll go about like new album, new music routes now is I'll open pre-orders as early as possible without it seeming like they're waiting three years for a record. I think I opened pre-orders in March and I released it in August. So it wasn't too big a gap. Yeah, that's a good idea. Definitely. Yeah, mm -hmm. I might uh, take that <laughs> yeah. for the next one. Yeah, but that's the thing. I think especially with what COVID did, Bandcamp as a platform really supported artists, I think in a way that yeah. other, like platforms did. Yeah, they, they, they sort of wavered their little, I mean, they don't take a huge fee anyway, but they, they sort of wavered all that. And um, yeah, I, I'm very happy with Bandcamp. I think they're great. And they're, they're, it's easy to sort of navigate their site and load stuff mm. up. And, you know, it's not too sort of mind bending. Yeah, even as a fan, I have like the app so I can still like download everything from there and play it 
through that on my phone. So I just feel a bit better using that instead of Spotify every single day. But I still yeah. use Spotify a ton. Yeah, Spotify, uh, Spotify, the old Spotify problem, because yeah. they were, the, was it the PRS was sort of trying to get them, or the, was it PLS, PP, I don't know, one of them, trying to get them to give the artist more, because the artist gets pretty much nothing on Spotify. But yeah. it's a very convenient way to listen to music and discover music, isn't it? So Yeah, I yeah. kind of, I've used Spotify now as a promotional tool. Oh yeah. To me now, anything streaming is a marketing platform. So yes. I kind of see it as like an advert. It's not like anything that's ever going to come to me. It's no point, not no two pence. Yeah. So in my head now, I just write off Spotify as that's a marketing cost. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good idea. And then there's all this kind of this new thing with playlists, isn't it? If you're added to playlists, I mean, I have to admit, I feel like I'm getting left behind. I'm feeling like a dinosaur, like. Someone mentioned that with the promotion at the minute. And I'm like, oh, oh, God, another thing I've got to try and learn how to do and find out about. And um, yeah. yeah, so anyway. Yeah, the Spotify playlist things is an interesting debate of like, because you can buy onto them and it's the same thing where can it's you? pay to play. And it's all that kind of stuff. And it just shows uh -huh. that kind of corruption. Because you see people who have like 12 followers or listeners on Spotify, but then one of their songs has a million streams. And oh. you can kind of see where people have either bought bots or bought onto a playlist that's like yeah. boosted their numbers more than it ever would. So for me, I don't really put that much thought into Spotify. I always kind of, again, I just use it as if you want to listen to me, go to the yeah. here it bought, come to my band camp because that's where I make any type of. Money. Yeah. But it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah. hard now in this day and age for music. Like this is the kind of what I grew up into. I've only been doing music for like four years. So it's like, of course you put it on Spotify. But for this year, how I look at approaching releases going forward is going to be completely different in regards to what happens with how I put stuff on streaming. Because that's just, you know, I just have to kind of adjust your aim now for how it works. Yeah, true. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, I'll, I'll still be releasing a physical CD for the album, but that's just because I like to yeah. still buy physical CDs. I like the artwork. I like the lyric sheets. You know, it's my, you know, that's just what I was brought up with. But I know some, yeah, some people don't even do that. And it's all just streaming. Mm. And, and maybe it feels a bit, it could be like a waste of money as well. I don't know. Are people buying CDs unless they come to your gigs? It's sort of. Yeah, that's the thing. Gonna, I was going to release a vinyl for the single, and I was like, well, there's just no point. It would literally be a vanity project mm. because it's going to cost me loads because there's no point getting thousands made because, I mean, where, who's going to buy those? You're not at a gig, you know, you're not. So that, that, that didn't happen. But Yeah, I put my record out on vinyl, but I did a super small run. That currently, I'll just show you quickly. Obviously, no one else can see this, but my, yeah. cat, my cat's currently sleeping on my ear. Uh, Stock. Oh yeah, on oh, your stock. Yeah, my stock. My stock of things are all over the place. I've got boxes of <laughs> CDs and things all over. Well, yeah. I put it out on vinyl because I know a lot of the people who support me will pick up the physical copy. So I wanted to create something, especially for a debut album. I wanted to create that, but I know for how I approach Spotify going forward, I've, I'm going to, and I don't know if it's going to work. Is I'm going to put everything on Bandcamp, and that's where you can get the physical. You can downloaded that's where it's going to be and i'm not going to put it on streaming sites for six months 
yeah. to try and create like an exclusivity and be like, this is where you need to support me. Yeah, that's and a good idea. After that six months, I'll start putting them on Spotify. But the CEO said how you need to create more content and pour something out like once a month. So I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. if I do an album of nine to 11 tracks, that's technically 11 months I could put out a new single every month. Well, I'm going to do something similar, maybe not that many, but I'm definitely doing another single um, before the album release and then another couple of singles off the album again. Mm. And I'm getting, we're in the process of sorting out a video. It's not coinciding with the single release because of COVID and Mm. lockdown and different things. So it's all, we've had to just go, okay, look, it's not kind of done properly in Virgin Commas. It's going to be later and after the actual single release, but never mind. You know, it's just, but just releasing content yeah. and getting stuff out there. And if it's a bit late, it's a bit late. But um, yeah. so that, that will be, I think, mid-Feb, about roundabout there. Oh, cool. And with like Magdalene, what was your process behind creating the album? Because I think was your last album 2016. Yes, yes. And then this one was actually written, well, it's, I started writing it in 2018-19. Um, I, I was living in Berlin, so most of it was written there in Neukölln, in Berlin. Berlin. Oh, cool. Berlin. And um, some of it was sort of in Wales. I was looking after my dad at one point um and a few songs written then um yeah so it's a it's a mix of uh of sort of where i was and stuff mm. like that um the process of writing albums is i just get on a kind of i, I usually i write an album and then you know record it put it out and then I just start the next one. Mm. It's like it starts. It's like, oh, now the new one is being born or sort of. Mm. It can take a few years, you know, like the writing process can take a year or so. And then the recording take can take a while as well, you know, to book the recording studio, go over to Belgium. That can be like a whole year. Um, So it can be a kind of two or three year process for me. Um, and then it, like it's extended this one obviously <laughs> but um, yeah oh, cool and with Berlin what did, like because I, I remember when I go to Berlin the city has like a weight and a gravitas to it but it also has such an undercurrent of art and like there's a culture of just people creating like graffiti and there's like music coming through and it's kind of that weight of history meeting like a rebellion and an optimism from the future I found for Berlin, did that play into, did that have, like, did you have that experience being there or did it affect your songwriting in any particular way? Um, I think it, how, I think the, how it affected my songwriting is when I was living there, cause I was living there for about four or five years altogether. Um, I, I just have a sense of freedom and possibilities when I'm living in Berlin. Mm. I feel more authentically me mm. there for some reason. I don't feel restricted by um, what I perceive to be other people's opinions or, you know, sort of cultural 
sort of things of how one should be or look or mm. whatever, things like that. Um, and I'm not weighed down by the weight of our sort of politics and mm. stuff like that because I don't speak very good German. So I'm not getting the news. I'm yeah. not getting, you know, anything that's kind of bringing me down, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and I'm in a kind of different bubble. And, and like you say, it's full of artists. So I know a lot of um, English speaking comedians. There's a whole English comedy scene mm. there that's massive. Cool. And a theatre, an English theatre scene. And then a lot of musicians who are from all around the world, German, French, mm. English, American, Australian, and you and you're all mixing together. So the comedians, you know, know some musicians. It's all and and because you're all expats from all over the world, you have this common thing that you kind of get to know each other quite quickly, and mm. you're kind of in the scene very fast. And oh, cool! And and it feels very nurturing, and it's very it's a very poor city, Berlin. So on the one hand, you know. The, that means that you you get a lot of people collaborating and nobody's got much money <laughs> but so it's all i think you have to come up with more ideas when you don't have a lot of money to put into something mm. and and it stretches you and it it's, it becomes more supportive and more collaborative and um yeah i don't know i I particularly, my heart is still there, really. Mm. I never really intended to come back to England. So <laughs> That's really interesting. I have a friend who lives over in Berlin, and it does seem that like people do find some sort of peace or some sort of something mm. that always pulls them back to the sea. Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's funny. It's a funny place. It's got a mix of so many things, but it's... Um, yeah, for me, everything about it just uh, sort of lifts my spirit, really, mm. from sort of cobbled streets of the area I lived in. And it's, so, it's sort of like being in a village as well, mm. in your Keats, but you've got this whole city at your fingertips if you want it, but you don't have to. You can be in this kind of quite small villagey vibe, really. Um, and we were up, down by the canal, which is really beautiful as well. So, mm. yeah. Well, and with that kind of sense of, you know, belonging and optimism, I feel that permeates music. Like with your single uh, Magdalene, you have yeah. um, within like the first like 20 seconds, I felt it had like a Laurel Canyon vibe of that kind of, you know, bohemian culture where it is a collaboration. And everyone's kind of lifting each other up. Was that an intentional influence from something that you've listened to for a while and you wanted to put it into music or is it? something that's kind of a happy accident if you will i think that the whole album just is has got that slightly 60s mm. laurel canyon vibe um it's just how it all came out i can't really like i say everything i do is a bit random yeah. i don't really <laughs> sort of even know my influences myself at the time it's just I just improvise and that's what sort of comes out. Mm. And as I was writing, I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be like a kind of electric folk album. It's much less country and less British folk. It's mm. more, it's much more uh, got a 60s vibe. Um, and then when I sort of mentioned that to Alonzo, you know, I'll say, oh, I feel this is really late 60s kind of electric folk vibe. And then he just gets that straight away. Mm. 
and he adds you know, all the kind of instrumentation and stuff in there. Oh, cool. How long have you been collaborating with Alonzo for? Oh, God, yes. It started actually when I was in a different band um, um, called Karma Diva, and mm. he did a couple of... Um, singles and a remix for us um, he's but I knew him before from uh, as friends because I'm friends with um, some of the guys from Cooler Shaker basically mm. so it's sort of like a little group of people who knew each other and he'd started producing as well as obviously playing and being the bass player and stuff um, and then I heard they, they put out a record called Strange Folk, which was mm. quite acoustic-y. Um, yeah, much more of a sort of acoustic folk album, psychedelic folk. And he produced it. And I thought, oh, my God, I really like the way he's mm. produced that. So then I asked him if he would produce my solo stuff once I, uh, the band I was in split up. Um, and then we started from there. So it started that proper collaboration with just another girl where I was sort of going to his um, studio in Belgium and mm. working, you know, on a whole album rather than just a couple of little projects, singles and things. Oh, cool. And with like playing or going to Belgium and obviously living in Berlin and stuff, did you tour and gig around Europe as well? Um, I, I did... A lot with my last, the other band, Karma Diva, that's, uh, we toured, that's how I ended up living in Berlin because we toured Europe for about eight years. Really? Yeah, we, we, we did all the English, you know, circuit, hiking down to London, the Carnarvon Castle, Hope and Anchor, you know, that whole scene, mm. the indie scene, and just felt like we were getting nowhere, I, you know, just paying to play and yeah. you know lucky to get a dressing room let alone a drink you know <laughs> at the end of it let alone paid mm. and then we uh i can't remember how but we met some promoter from germany who took us on and we suddenly got all these gigs and we just went on tour constantly around europe holland and germany mostly yeah and had such a different experience made money covered um, yeah. all our costs, were fed, watered, um, you know, put up in hotels and people bought albums, people came to gigs. It was sort of like, and we just thought, oh, wow, this is just so much better. And then I ended up moving there. Cause... Mm. And then I did uh, mostly more small gigs with my own stuff because uh, I've only just got a backing band. Mm. I'm just doing me and a guitarist or me and um, a pianist and stuff like that. And a lot of gigs in Bristol I did as well a few years ago. And then recently, just before COVID, I got back in bed together and we mm. were just starting to get <laughs> to gigs started, but it's all, yeah, put on hold now. Yeah, that's the thing I saw on, I think it was either your Facebook or on your website, you'd done some shows with a Mark J. Lee, who's a friend of Row Countries yeah. and is a phenomenal country musician as well but with the europe scene like i found the same thing i was trying to like if i didn't play europe i'd have probably given up as a musician yeah because being in liverpool and the northwest it wasn't just i wasn't finding anywhere i fit in and i wasn't finding the people that were getting it in this yeah. kind of same way and i was just like fuck it went to europe and like i've booked a few venues that i'd seen people who like like me who played there 
and the reception I got is like, I know it's selfish and obviously there's bigger things at stake with Brexit and stuff, but I'm so fucking gutted that that's been oh. jeopardized in any way. Like, I have no idea when I'll be able to head over there or what I'll have to do to get over there. No, I know. Because- I'm absolutely gutted. I've still got all my stuff in storage there. Oh, like, oh. I literally was going to go back to live. Mm. And um, I don't know what I, yeah, uh, now I just, it's like my, it's like my dreams. It's like someone's cut my head off. Yeah. I'm just like, no, you know, what, how am I going to get back there? I've got a cellar full of uh, all my stuff still mm. there. And um, all the gigging and, yeah, just my life. Yeah. It, my life over in Europe, I'm just, yeah, I mean, I'm one of the gutted people too. Obviously, everyone has a different opinion, but as an artist, I'm effing gutted. Yeah, like, <laughs> as an artist, I don't know what the deal will be with those 30-day windows and what visas and stuff are going to be, but it's just because I have, like, that's where I kind of made an impact or made a dent. Yeah. playing the European market and Belgium and holland and like germany they look after you so well and they're so yeah. receptive that you don't realize how little that happens in britain i know i know i mean i don't want to diss you know my own country or the scene here but it's so different over there and yeah. it's it it yeah it's just really different <laughs> um and unless someone's experienced it you can't really explain it can you it's no you just get treated with such a lot of respect. It doesn't matter what level you're at. As long as you're half decent and yeah. you, you, know, you you put the work in and you, you've got something quite good to offer, you know, the, from the audience to the promoters to the crew to everybody, you're just treated just with a lot of respect and kindness and, yeah, and you get paid. <laughs> yeah, that's the main mind-blowing thing as a British musician to head over to Europe and actually get paid something. Get paid, hello, yeah. hello. But with him, obviously touring Europe and stuff is kind of sh- on shaky ground now. Have you done much touring of the UK? Obviously, I've seen you played with Mark Jaley and stuff around Bristol. But have you done much around the UK, or have you got that um, planned for the? No, future? we haven't. We haven't done much around the UK yet. Yeah, we, I've I've done a few. Um, I met Mark years and years ago um, in the Bristol scene when he was with Howlin' Lord and mm. stuff did quite done quite a few gigs with him um but yeah it's quite difficult as well if you've got a whole band to take a band somewhere um further afield and then they don't get much money at the end of it um and we're all of a certain age you know i'm not 20 (laughs) i'm way past 20 (laughs) you know um so it's quite hard to get older musicians as well to, you know, play for nothing. Mm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. And and with, I honestly just have no idea what the climate's going to be like when we come out of COVID. Yeah. I, I don't know what the landscape's going to look like for live gigs um, in this country or for us going abroad. I don't know how that's going to work. It, it's all a real unknown and I think if I didn't have my acting, uh, which is where I can make money, mm. um, and, and also a bit of writing I do for uh, TV and stuff like that, I, I yeah, I, I think I'd be absolutely lost, you know. Mm. 
Mm. And what um, acting projects do you have on at the moment? Um, uh, well, we've just finished filming the second season of Intelligence, mm. which is written by Nick Mohammed, um, a good friend of mine. I've done some other projects with him before as well. Um, and that's, yeah, that's with David Schwimmer as the kind of lead, lead mm. in that. Um, that will be out in spring. Fingers crossed we get a third series, which we then would, you know, I mean, I'm just fingers crossed. Mm. I think it, it yeah, I think I'm not there to say, I don't know for sure. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then there's another project in the pipeline uh, with Nick as well, um, which I've been doing a bit of writing with him with but we don't know about that yet either it's not got commissioned yet mm. so um and then i'm writing a few things but that you know that could take years yeah um and then i'm always auditioning for stuff so who knows yeah it's all self-tapes now which mm. uh that's, that's really interesting what's kind of like the process behind writing for tv or film and things like what do you kind of go into like what's the first thing you do in order like, to undertaking one of those projects well usually if it's uh, um i mean the only things i've actually had on tv are collaboration things where i'm asked mm. to work on something with someone so i've done a lot of stuff with julia davis um where we uh, she she'll have a project and then she uh, will come to me and then we'll improvise mm. all the characters and record everything that we do and then um, that gets, you know, she'll hone that down and take it and write the show out of it. So we did that with Nighty Night, mm. um, Camping, um, what else? A few other things I worked with her. With her. Um, and then the same with Nick, we do the same through improvising. Mm. Um, we did a show called Morning is Broken, which was going to be a series, but didn't end up as a series. It was just a pilot. Um, and then another thing we're working on now. Um, so it's my skill is mainly through improvising mm. characters uh, from stuff. And then stuff I write myself, I'm still just, I'm just tapping away writing. <laughs> mm. And then I have to, then you have to do a treatment and then you have to get a production company on board and then they will try and find a, you know, a, tv company that will take it on so mm. kind of process with that yeah. that's so interesting and with like obviously you've got like your film and tv career next to music what do you think represents your artistic voice better or do they both serve a different purpose for you they both serve a really different purpose mm. um acting because even with acting there's the co there's comedy and then there's sort of dramatic yeah. you know so the comedy i particularly like because i i like character acting i like to become other people mm. that is something for me is uh, i suppose a kind of more instinctive you know that's my method is it's just i slightly without sounding like a bit naff <laughs> i slightly channel the character mm. if you know become the character and um, I really love doing that. And I really love being involved in projects like that. Um, and it's when it's comedy, it's just such a joy because you're mm. just having a lot of fun. It's a, I mean, it's a lot of hard work, 
and you're not really allowed to laugh much because it's all on the clock. There's always someone there, you know, like the crew were like, come on, you know, it's not funny. It's not funny. Get on with it. Um, but you're always nearly laughing and, you know, inside having a sort of feeling a lot of joy. Mm. And the music is much more personal. Mm. And, and I... Uh, I guess I'm more confident with the acting. Mm. I'm more, I know, I, I know what I'm doing. I, I know how I'm doing it. It's all, you know, I'm just there as an actress yeah. or a writer, or, you know, I bring those skills in when we're improvising maybe on set. Um, but I don't have to take care of anything else. With music, it's so, it's kind of a bit heavy because you're having to take care of everything else. Yeah. And you've got to be the sole motivation, even with your band. You're, if you're the leader of the band, you've got to be the sole motivator. And, you know, that's quite hard if you're um, prone to, you know, sort of getting a bit down or whatever <laughs> without going into my mental health issues <laughs> too deeply. Um, but also you're slightly bearing your soul, aren't you, with music? Mm. You know, the stories often have some element of yourself in them and then also you you know I don't know just your own voice is always a bit like like the sound of my own voice very Mm. much it's it's just a bit more I don't know like yeah Yeah. no it's it's such a weird one and that's why one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about was because I've never been inclined in any way shape or form for like acting or drama like I was in when I was in high school I had like horrendous stage fright where um, I could like I can't wear masks I couldn't like act or speak in front of people and you know I basically failed GCSE drama and stuff because I couldn't take that step to yeah act or do anything like that but the second I have a guitar in my hand it's like the most comfortable thing in the world no matter who I'm in front of or any stage I'm it's just like I always feel just like completely natural now I, I really want to talk to people like yourself who have that kind of duality and it's interesting how the acting is kind of your not comfort zone but that's where like you find a strength and uh yeah it's right yeah it is and i think it probably comes from just you know just like even in childhood you know my way of coping with anything was you know putting on an accent putting on a character being funny being Mm. the um, getting out of tricky situations by you know being like that or yeah that's just my sort of go-to everything even with my parenting skills mm. you know it'd be like the fact I had a Liverpool character <laughs> that I used to do when the kids were naughty and I'd be like I mean really swearing and being like talking like this being the universe, screaming at them and saying it could be like this you know you're lucky <laughs> Lucky, I could be screaming in your face. <laughs> you know, you're lucky that you got me. And they'd be like, Mom, don't be her. <laughs> uh, or different characters, you know, mm. that would just lighten the situation, yeah. get them to do what I want. Whatever. But it is my comfort zone. Yeah. And I've, I'm more comfortable when I've got a band behind me. Mm. Once I've got a big, a full band behind me, then I'm comfortable if it's just me and my guitar. I'm just like, oh, mm. I don't know, it's so exposing. And I'm not like a brilliant guitarist, you know, it's mm. taken me 30 years to learn the freaking basics, you know. 
sheer perseverance of wanting to write really but yeah no it's a strange one like I remember I was in a metal band first and having a full band it was a completely different thing but also when you're in a metal band you're kind of in like a headspace of bravado and it's still like distancing yourself from what you are but like yeah like I've been watching different things on tv and if someone's like playing in front of someone with a guitar it's making me miss live shows so much to just be able to stage and stuff but um, we're coming up to the hour mark and I don't want to keep you too long so you've got your album coming out in February is it uh end of February beginning of March the single's out today amazing and have you sent like I think I've have you sent it to reviews and things has there been an initial response to it yet uh there's been a few that have come in um yeah so far so good um I sent out a load of stuff um and uh, but like I said, I've been a bit, <laughs> I've been a bit haphazard mm. with the whole thing. So I still got more to do, and I'm, I'm a bit late. So <laughs> that's the thing. It, it never really ends with promotion and stuff. I'm still promoting an album that came out in August. I know, <laughs> I know. And then I always think, oh, I'm doing it wrong, you know. And then I'm like, oh, whatever. I can't just. I'm doing what I'm doing, and that's that. <laughs> yeah. Well, this podcast will drop on the 26th of January. And I'll be pushing it all and stuff with the album. And I can't wait to listen to the full thing. Like like Magdalene was a really great track. And it just had this like airy optimism that kind of had that Laurel Canyon with a Kate Bush vibe to it that I'm, you know, I really enjoyed. And it was really something that was different to what I've heard coming through lately. It was really like it wasn't a nostalgic or a throwback thing. It had this fresh perspective on a familiar genre, which I really enjoyed. Oh, cool. That's great. That's great. And it's also quite unlike me to be so optimistic. (laughs) So um, I think, uh, yeah, I'm glad I chose that for the single then. That's good. No, it's great. I can't wait to hear the rest of it, but um, I'll let you get on with the rest of your day. And I really can't thank you enough for uh, sitting down with me today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's been great. And um, if you, I'll send you a sneak preview to the album, if you like. Oh, definitely. That'd be amazing. Thank you so much. (laughs) Boom. And there we go. That's episode 23 of Into the Van, Into the Bag. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a blast talking to Jane. It was such an interesting, you know, talk and a perspective that I've not really had a chance to explore yet. And that Laurel Canyon vibe, I'm really hyped to listen to her record and you should definitely check it out. And yeah, keep supporting Into the Van, keep supporting Rogue Country. Go pick up The Next Life if you haven't. Go pick up Magdalene and all of Jane Allison's music. And until next time, guys, stay safe. Peace.